encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning toward the end of the New Testament to the little book of 3rd John as we conclude our study in this book today by looking at verses 11 through 15. So I'm going to read that out loud. You can follow along. 3rd John verses 11 through 15. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, and we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So as we have looked at these 219 Greek words, the shortest book in the New Testament, the shortest book in the Bible, John has written this letter to one man, a guy named Gaius. And he has written to encourage Gaius. He considers Gaius to be a dear friend. And and he is encouraged that Gaius has been committed to the gospel. The good news that Jesus is God, that he died in our place, taking the sin of man upon himself as payment for sin for everyone, and then rose again from the dead, proving that he is God. Gaius has not only put his trust in that message of Jesus Christ, but is allowing Jesus Christ to change him, to transform him. And in verses 5 through 8, John the Apostle draws attention to the fact that Gaius is committed to the furtherance of the gospel, that he's he's committed to helping proclaimers of the gospel, missionaries, supporting them, encouraging them, giving them a platform in his town from which to speak. And then last week we saw in verses 9 and 10 that not everyone shared Gaius's heart that there's a guy named Diotrephes in town who actually is hindering the gospel, hurting the spread of the gospel. So today, as we come to the close of the letter, the Apostle John is saying, don't be like him. Don't be like Diotrephes. Rather, emulate those who are committed to the gospel. Follow those who are allowing the gospel to transform them, to change them. That's who you should follow. And one of the things that, that the Apostle John does in 2 John and 3 John, as we've looked at these two little books, is that he is focused on the gospel. He refers to it as the truth. The transforming power of the truth, our need for the truth, our need for the message of the gospel. And that's still his focus as he comes to the end of this book. And he's going to make this general observation. 
that those who are rightly connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ will be living lives that will reflect Jesus Christ. Those who are not connected with God, well, their lives will be marked by sin. And he's going to tell Gaius here, look at their life. And then you walk in the footsteps of those who are committed to Jesus Christ. I've shared with you all before that when I was a grade school kid growing up in Iowa, I was pretty much the brunt of a lot of jokes. I had red hair. You know, I I never have understood how women, oh, look at her beautiful red hair. Be a guy with red hair. It's not easy. So I had red hair, and I was kind of goofy, a little bit chunky, and um, I just was made fun of a lot. Had a butch haircut because my parents believed that I needed to look different from the other kids. Well, I did. Well, one of the things that I was made fun of the most was how I walked. They called me Granddaddy Longlegs. And evidently, I walked funny. My parents finally figured out why their little second grade boy, whatever age I was, walked in such a strange manner. During those years, the absolute best thing that could ever happen in my life was to be on the farm with my grandpa and my uncle. Just loved being on the farm. And they were old school farmers. They had hogs, they had cow-calf operation, they had a hen house, they had a brooder house, they dressed chickens. It was the whole gamut. Only farmed about 200 acres. My grandpa didn't buy a tractor until 1959, which is pretty late. So he was hard-working, old-school, gets up at 4.30 in the morning, huge breakfast, and uh, I just wanted to be with him all the time. I spent hours riding on the old toolbox that was on the wheel fender of his old Alice Chalmer tractor as he cultivated corn. And wherever he went, I went. In fact, oftentimes, as my grandpa would be carrying a five-gallon bucket of water to feed some sow in the barn or give her something to drink or whatever, I'd be right behind him. And my parents noticed one day, when they were at the farm, that I was literally walking in my grandfather's footsteps, meaning I was actually trying to put my feet where his feet were. And I was copying how he walked. Thus my weird walk. I was a second grade boy trying to walk like a 65-year-old man who was big. He was like 6'3". He was a big man. And here I am, this little squirt of a kid, trying to emulate everything that my grandpa did. If he spit, I spit. (laughs) And I can't think of a better guy to emulate. 
Well, what John is saying here to Gaius, his dear friend in the Lord, is you find a person in your life who's living for Jesus Christ, and you walk in that person's footsteps. You copy them. You emulate them. You put them out in front of you and do what they do. That's what John is telling Gaius here. You emulate a person who is completely committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus we come to verses 11 and 12. And John's going to help Gaius here with a very simple principle. A person's life is going to reflect who they follow. You need to look for somebody who's following Jesus. A person's conduct reflects his or her relationship with God. That's John's point. So we come to verse 11, and once again, John refers to Gaius as beloved. He, taught, he called him beloved in verse 1, and in verse 2, and in verse 5. He, he would be saying, my dear friend. And they have a bond. If you remember back to verse 1, he said, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And by that, John was saying, in the bond that we have in the truth of the gospel, in the bond that we have in Jesus Christ, You see, Gaius came to a point in his life where he put his trust in the person of Jesus Christ. He realized he could not, in and of himself, be in right relationship with God. He couldn't do enough good things to put on a scale to outweigh his bad. He couldn't build a bridge to God. He's a sinner and he can't fix it himself, but he put his trust in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John put his trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And since both of them are trusting in Christ, there is a bond there, a closeness, a commonality in Christ. And so John says to Gaius here, my dear friend in the Lord, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. The Greek word that's translated imitate here is a word mimeomai, mimeomai. If you think about it, our English word mimic is based on the Greek word mimeomai. It means to emulate, to follow after, to copy, to mimic. And here John says... Don't emulate, don't copy, don't follow. Don't follow in the footsteps of someone whose life is marked by sinfulness. Rather, you pick out somebody who is walking in a way that's committed to Jesus Christ. We see that same verb used, I'll just read it quick, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. When it says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate 
their faith. That's our word. Now, ultimately, the one that we are to follow is, is Jesus Christ. In fact, we, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, says this, Be imitators of me. Emulate me just as I also am of Christ. So Paul says, I'm, I'm following in Jesus' footsteps, but we need somebody with flesh and blood here with us to help spur us on. And so Paul says, follow him. Here, John says to Gaius, you find somebody who's committed to Jesus Christ and walk in their steps. Do what they do. Emulate them. Mimic them. Copy them. Not somebody like Diotrephes that John has just addressed who's actually hindering the furtherance of the gospel. So Gaius, John says, this is how you figure it out. It's a general principle, the end of verse 11. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. They may look good on the outside, but they can't keep that up forever. In other words, the one who has been tra- is being transformed by Jesus Christ, is going to a live a life that's being transformed. The one who stands in rejection of Jesus Christ, his life is, is going to emulate that. It's going to depict one who is rejecting Jesus Christ. This past week, I was out deer hunting with my group of deer hunters. And uh, while that is always a good time, the thing that I look forward to the most is breakfast and lunch. The stuff in between is very painful. I will be pulling multiflora rose stickers out of my hands for several weeks coming up. But I really look forward to lunch. And we have little debates about what the best place to eat is and what the worst place to eat is. And one of the places that I like to go to is the Coggin Grocery Store. Six bucks. You get an entree. You get to pick two sides. Sometimes a nice piece of bread. Sometimes even dessert. Six bucks. It usually doesn't disappoint. And if you're muddy, it's okay. There's just a tile floor uh, they probably bring a hose in after we're done and just wash it out. Well, we went there this week. And uh, we got there a little late. And the entree that day was lasagna. And uh, it just didn't quite look up to snuff to me. I should have ordered it because the guys who did said it was great. But they said, well, we've got the lasagna or we could drop a couple of chicken breasts in the fryer. And so I said... I'll go for the chicken breast. And one of the other guys said, I'll go for the chicken breast too. Well, we had to wait, and it came out, and it was just beautiful on the outside. Oh, did it look good. And I thought to myself, man, am I glad I got the chicken breast, because this is going to be good. We cut into it, 
and it was just raw chicken flesh. It, it wasn't even close to being cooked. It looked as if it was just straight off the shelf, just freshly butchered chicken. Needless to say, it was not appetizing. It looked good on the outside, but when you got underneath the surface, you could see it for its reality. And what John is saying here to Gaius is, you take a good look at a person's life. Don't just take a cursory look, maybe what they do to impress those around them, but you really study their life. And you're going to find a general principle that's true. You're going to find that the person who is rightly connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ is going to have to be is going to be living a life that is growing in emulating Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ there's going to be change there for the good and the person who stands in rejection of Jesus Christ their life is going to show it too so Gaius find a guy who is committed to Jesus Christ, and follow him. Walk in his steps. Do what he does. You see here, John tells Gaius, do what's good. And good in this little letter has been supporting the gospel. Gaius has been committed to these, these missionaries that have been coming and, and supporting them and introducing them to people and opening his home to them. Diotrephes has been saying, no way can you come into my house. And he's been discouraging other Christians from furthering the gospel by supporting these missionaries. In fact, he's been kicking them out of church. So John says, just look at their life a little bit. And then emulate the one that is committed to the gospel, that's committed to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just look at one little phrase here in verse 11. It says, the one who does evil has not seen God. I'm going to turn over to 1 John chapter 3. And I just want to look at verses 4 through 10 of 1 John 3. And in 1 John 3, verse 4, it says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. 
anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, John is not saying here that if a person sins, he's not a Christian. That's not what John is saying. What John is saying is look at a person's life. See what is characterizing their life. Look at the patterns of their life. And if all you see in a person's life is continual sin in their life, that person needs to really question whether or not they are rightly connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because once a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ starts doing a work in that person's life. Jesus is the one who produces righteousness in the life of the believer. It's not something that we do. He begins a work, just like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, and I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. It says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He the one who is righteous, when we put our trust in him, starts doing a work in us and helps us see our sin and then by his Holy Spirit begins to change us. He doesn't do it overnight. Aren't we glad that God does not reveal to us the depths of our sin all at once? We couldn't handle it. He just starts peeling us away like an onion and we start seeing the outward stuff And then maybe he starts to transform us and then we start seeing the inward stuff. But little by little, even sometimes we don't even notice it, he's changing us. And and John is saying, the life reflects the one to whom it's connected. John is not saying that doing good things equals a person being rightly connected to God. Think about what the Apostle Paul said about that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul said, man, if it was just doing good stuff, I'd be closer to God than anybody. And and in Philippians 3, he talks about all the quote-unquote good things that he did out of his own strength, to look good. But in verse 7 he says, whatever that stuff was to me that I used to do to look good on the outside, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Remember, that's a real smooth translation in our English Bible. Really, what that word means is, I count all those things that I used to do to make myself look good as a manure pile. That's the word. A pile of manure. Well, the English translators don't really like to put that in the Bible, but that's what the Greek word is. That's how valuable all the stuff is that I used to do to look good on the outside. That's what I counted as, just a manure pile. And then he goes on, and I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, 
derived from a law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that he could not do enough good things to be right with God. And he knew that just outward stuff that he did did not equate being right with God. Being right with God only comes one way, through putting our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, putting our trust in him. And then when we do that, Jesus Christ starts doing this work in us and changing us from the inside out, not from the outside in. John here also is not saying that if I sin, that means I'm not a Christian. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So that's not what he's saying either. If, oh man, I just sinned, I must not be a Christian. No. What he's saying is this. You look at a person's life. Not just a snippet, but look at their life. Don't just look at the outer crust, the stuff we see on the outside, the outside part of the chicken. Open it up. Take a good look. And what you'll find is this. The one who's rightly connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ, that person's life is going to be marked by a continuing, a progressive change. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. But there's going to be a change there. That Jesus Christ is producing His righteousness in and through that person's life. He's making them so that more and more that life of that Christian reflects Jesus Christ. And if you look and all that you see is unchanged behavior and sin and no even remorse for it, that person really needs to look and say, am I rightly connected with God through faith in Christ? So John says, find that person who's committed to the gospel and walk in their steps. Now, he goes on in verse 12 and says, let me give you an example. The guy most likely who delivered this letter by hand is a guy named Demetrius. Demetrius is an example of, of one that I'm talking about. And he goes on to say that the, the church back there where John is from where he's writing, they'll all give affirmation that this guy's the real deal. He's committed to Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, even the truth itself, Demetrius' commitment to the gospel itself is a testimony. And then he goes on and said, and we had our testimony. John and the, and the elders of the church, this is the kind of guy that you need to follow, Gaius. Now, as Gaius has given, has been given this charge, the apostle brings the letter to a close. And in verses 13 through 15, it's a close very similar to 2 John. This time, once again, John says, I don't want to write down everything that I want to say to you. I want to come to you shortly, soon. He wants to come and encourage Gaius, and he wants to come and confront this guy Diotrephes who's hindering the gospel. But then, toward the very last verse, 
He does something that no one else does in the New Testament. No other greeting like this. He says this, The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. And what John does when he says that is he comes back to how he started the book, the letter. And he's talking about the fact that when we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is a bond there. It's, it's a tight bond that is, it, it goes beyond boundaries. It goes beyond racial boundaries. It goes beyond geographical boundaries. It goes beyond, beyond political boundaries. It goes beyond economic boundaries. There is a bond in the person of Jesus Christ. Most likely, John is thinking back to the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verses 13, 15, as he calls fellow Christians friends here in this last verse. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And most likely those words of Jesus are in John's mind as he says to Gaius, the friends greet you. That's the brothers and sisters in Christ from this local church from where John writes. And then he says, Gaius, you greet the friends by name, meaning in your local church, I want you to personally greet each one from the friends back here at this church. There's a bond in Jesus Christ. Remember when we went and we looked at 2 John, we were talking about perilous days. And they were scary days. Here at the time of this writing, most likely the church is undergoing persecution. And there are those within the local churches who are denying Jesus Christ, saying that he really wasn't a man, denying even the need for the cross. And it's a scary time for the church. And John highlighted two things that we need to do when we live in tenuous times. And I think many of us feel like we live in tenuous times today. Two things that we need to hold on to. We need to hold on to the gospel. It has to be in the forefront of our thinking. And we have to hold on to our brothers and sisters in Christ. More and more as we live in evil days, it's going to be pronounced That we need each other. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just within our local church family, but across church families. And here, the Apostle John is stressing that to Gaius by calling fellow brothers and sisters in Christ friends. He's saying, we're committed to you over there, Gaius. And we want you to know that. It's important for us to remember in these days, in these difficult days, the need to hang on to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
If we are in agreement in the fundamentals of the faith, and here our elders at Faith Bible Church would consider the fundamentals of the faith what's printed on the back of our bulletins every week, those those major doctrines. If another brother or sister in the Lord is committed to those fundamentals of the faith, we need to be embracing them and encouraging them and strengthening them. That's one reason why Faith Bible Church is is part of the the citywide connection of churches called Serve the City. Because we need each other. That's why uh, we have joined with New Covenant Bible Church and Maranatha Bible Church and Cedar Valley Bible Church and Cornerstone Free Church and Faith Bible Church in together marriage mentoring. Because we need each other. We can do together what we can't do separately. And as days grow more difficult and more difficult, it's so important for us to not allow theological differences in non-essentials to cloud us from viewing those people who differ with us in some areas as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to show you a a photograph this morning. And uh, as the screen comes down, I will give you just a little bit of background about... Four months ago, I received a contact from a guy named John. And uh, John lives in Myanmar. Uh, Many of us in the room would know that as Burma. And uh, John friended me on Facebook, and and I wondered, how in the world did John even find me But uh, we only have one mutual Facebook friend. I have 550 Facebook friends and only one mutual friend. It was one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, Bill Lawrence. And somehow John uh, friended me and he has been corresponding with me very regularly. In fact, today he asked me to pray for him today because John and his wife, John is a pastor in his little uh, village that he lives in, in Myanmar. And uh, they were having an outreach today, a Christmas celebration outreach to orphans and widows. And he said, Pastor Steve, and his English is, is not good, but I can pretty much make out what he's saying. He said, please pray for me today. And so what a privilege it has been for me to be able just to, on a regular basis, pray for a friend. A friend who isn't in Cedar Rapids, he's not in Iowa, I've never met him, most likely I won't meet him until I'm in with the Lord. And for whatever reason, God brought us together, and I counted a privilege to pray for John. And here... What the Apostle John is saying is that we need each other. Remember, as I pray for John in in Myanmar, I'm actually sharing in his ministry. And if this outreach is successful today, it's not only John who will share in the joy of that success, but I will too because I lifted him before the throne of grace as he went out in this outreach to these widows and orphans. 
As John draws this, draws this letter to a, to a close, he is reminding Gaius of the fact that the gospel has to stay at the core. And we need to be emulating people, flesh and blood people in our midst, who are committed to the gospel, walking in their steps. And we need to be viewing the centrality, the the vitalness of brothers and sisters in Christ. Because as days get more difficult, it's the gospel and it's our friends in Jesus to which we have to hang on. That's where we will find our encouragement. That's where we will find our strength. That's where we will be able to shine in a dark place. We're to be encouraging. We're to be supporting those who are faithful to the gospel. Father, we thank you for Third John. In its brevity, there is great depth. And we thank you for the reminder of our need to emulate those who are sold out to Jesus Christ. And our need to be committed to our brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we share a bond in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.